4th of July to you all. I hope you guys have some plans today to go out and celebrate with your family uh, the freedom we have here living in this country. Um, so thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, my name is Justin, and I am actually the student ministries pastor here at New Hope, and uh, I get the honor to teach to you guys this morning. So I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, I wanted to give you guys a quick update on my life, because I know you're all so curious at this point. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to be up here on stage and teaching in front of you guys, and so I actually wanted to give you a quick update on my family life and show you a little bit of what uh, we've been up to the last few months. And so this year, uh, on January 4th of 2021, uh, we introduced our firstborn son, me and my wife, Cassie, Thomas. <laughs> So this is Thomas Warren Coates, and as you can see, he is a ball of energy. Um, we have been loving, he, actually today, he's officially six months old. So uh, we've got a few other, one more picture. This is his first selfie. So we're trying to really get him used to the culture and, and you know, prepare him for the future. Uh, I recently found a video already on my phone where he had somehow took a video, and it was not too bad, actually. So. Uh, so we've been loving that. Our life has been super mellow and laid back. We have a one-year-old puppy as well. So things have been really simple for us these last few months. Uh, but no, we, we love the chaos. We love the fun and the craziness in our life. Um, and so it's been, it's been a, lot, a lot of challenges throughout this, um, having a, having a six-month-old son. But we've been loving it, and it's been a great time. So... Uh, we're going to jump right into Daniel this morning because we're going to be talking quite a bit um, on a very famous chapter a lot of us are probably familiar with. And before we do, I, I wanted to just give you guys a quick understanding and preface before we jump into chapter three. And, and like I said, this story will probably be very familiar to most of you all. Um, but at the same time, we've learned, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've, we're only a few weeks into this series, um, but we've learned that the book of Daniel is a very unique book in the way it's written, in its literature, in its style, its format, even the language, the multiple languages that are shown throughout this book, and it's not written necessarily uh, in chronological order. However, uh, one of the unique things about chapter 3, and if you were here last week, you'll see this connection. Uh, chapter 3 picks up almost immediately after chapter 2. So it's one of the few instances in the book of Daniel where we see there's a clear connection, and we, we can read from chapter 2 immediately to chapter 3 and say, oh, this, this makes sense, which is kind of refreshing, right? We'll have something this morning that we can say, oh, I can connect the dots here. Um, so before we, before we do jump into the book of Daniel, uh, I would love to pray for us and just ask God to be with us during our time this morning. So let's bow our heads, let's pray, uh, and we have lots to talk about this morning. So Father God, we thank you for um, your word and your holy scripture, and we, we thank you for the stories of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we just want to pray and ask this morning that this story, while may it be familiar to so many of us, would still offer a challenge um, and a call to action within our faith uh, in you, God. And so just be with us this morning as we read your holy scriptures, and we pray that we are touched and moved by your spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 
All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be primarily in Daniel chapter 3 this morning. So you can go ahead and open those up. Uh, and the way we're going to do this this morning is we're going to go not verse by verse, but section by section. So we're going to split this up a little bit uh, and spend some time talking about what's going on in this story. So let's start off. We will start with just verse 1, just to set the stage for this morning. So let's, let's read verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, we read, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And we'll stop there for just a minute because, one, I want to prove the point I was just explaining to you. If you were here last week, we, we had a message. Pastor Andy talked about Daniel chapter 2, uh, and there's a couple things that happen in this chapter. Uh, in, this, in this chapter, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream or this vision, and it's of this large image. And in fact, I think we have an image here that Pastor Andy showed us last week. Uh, so King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel interprets this dream to talk about some, some futuristic uh, pro prophetic word about different civilizations that were going to come in and, and rule. And if you remember correctly, the head of gold was supposed to symbolize Babylon. It was supposed to symbolize King Nebuchadnezzar. And so what we see, obviously this didn't take place immediately after chapter 2, because this statue would have been pretty magnificent and large to, to make. But clearly, King Nebuchadnezzar took this dream and this vision from Daniel and made an image. However, he decided to make a few of his own special touches to this, all right? So the first thing we see here, uh, we're actually given the dimensions in this chapter, which is kind of useful and helpful just to get an idea on the scale and size of this image. Uh, and we see that the measurements here would have, me would have meant this image would have been somewhere around 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. So in today's standards, that's, that's actually a pretty decent size image, a pretty decent size statue. Not the largest we've ever seen, but this would have been something that you would have noticed. All right? This would have been a massive, spectacular image that was obvious to see because we also see that the image was made out of gold. And, and back then, uh, this doesn't necessarily mean the image in its entirety was built from gold, but meant that it was at the very least gold-plated. And the purpose of that, and the purpose of that point, is for us to see here that clearly Nebuchadnezzar took this, this statue that we talked about in chapter 2 and said, you know what, I'm going to make this entirely out of gold. And th that's not just because he liked gold and it was shiny and it made it look a lot more spectacular. We can almost imply here that Nebuchadnezzar decided to say, you know what, Daniel, in this vision, you said that a new kingdom is going to come in and take over mine. Well, by me making this out of gold and gold only, this shows who's really in charge. This shows that I'm not willing to, to bow down. I'm not willing to give up my rule, and I want everybody to know it's all about me, okay? And we also see, clearly Nebuchadnezzar has had a change of heart and attitude between chapter 2 and chapter 3, because he's praising Daniel, he's, he's thanking him, he's recognizing the work of God within Daniel and his interpretation of this dream, but now Nebuchadnezzar has said, you know what, that's a great dream, that's a great idea, but let's, let's make this more about me. So we start chapter 3 off very similar to chapter 2 and 1 with, with King Nebuchadnezzar pointing things back to himself yet again. 
This, this image was a way for him to show the world that I still am in control and I'm still in charge. But um, our good friend Nebuchadnezzar takes this a step further. So let's continue and read uh, verses 2 and 3 here. It says, then he then summoned, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So, a long list of names here, right? And, and if we wanted, I'll spare you the, the details. We could go through each list and talk about each person and what their role was in Babylon and why they were so important. But the reason this list of people um, is mentioned here is simply for us to realize and see this was a ceremony, this was a, a, a celebration where Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to invite anyone who's anyone to be here. He wants to make sure that, and most of these people listed here would have been higher officials, people of high ranking and standard in Babylon, but it would have been almost everybody. And so what we see here is Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just build this image to say, this looks great, everybody admire it, but he says, no, 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 you're, you're going to all come be a part of this. At the very end of this section, we see everyone stood before it. It's almost like King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I'm going to really make sure people see this, so I'm going to have a party for myself. <laughs> I'm going to invite everybody to be a part of this, and I want you all to see how magnificent this wonderful, amazing statue of myself is. Lovely. Things don't just stop there. We'll continue uh, in verse 4. It says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. A little overkill if you tell me. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we see another list here. I don't know why. Chapter 3, just Daniel's trying to make us read lists over and over and over, okay? And he gives us a further picture here um, of the scene. So it's not just an image. It's not just a bunch of people. It, it's a production here. And I think King Nebuchadnezzar knows this, and I think he wants to make sure that this image, this ceremony, this production is something that's so magnificent and so incredible that the people around want to be a part of it. You know, I, I would almost liken this to the same setting or, or a similar scene of that of a, a big concert, right? There's somebody or something that we want to go see. There's music, there's people, there's festivities. And King Nebuchadnezzar knows this. Here, I have a little bit of, a, of an image to show you, kind of a rendering of what this scene would have looked like. So we have the statue here. We have massive amounts of people, and it would have been huge. There would have been everybody a part of this. And, and the reason that's important for us 
to understand is, is what happens next. Because King Nebuchadnezzar didn't choose to just build and throw a party for himself, this big image. But now that he's got everybody here, now that he's got anyone who's anyone, looking at this image of himself, there's a decree that's made. There's a new rule that comes into play. And we see here, he, the, the, the herald loudly proclaims, when you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. So here's our problem. In Daniel chapter 3, everything's been kind of normal in, in the sense of this, this is predictable, but now all of a sudden we see King Nebuchadnezzar has an order. He has a new rule. He has a new law put in, in place, which we can read as Christians and see this is clearly an opposition to faith. This is clearly a new law that goes against anyone who chooses to put their faith in God. Could you imagine, think through this with me for just a moment, could you imagine being one of the Jews in captivity? Could you imagine being one of God's people standing there and realizing, okay, we've had a tough so far, now we've got to bow down to this other image. We've maybe been able to skirt through some things thus far living in captivity, but now there's a law, there's a rule that we can see that is so clearly against our faith in God. One commentator on this passage um, states that such a command would be impossible for a faithful follower of the true God to obey. And we know that's true, because way back in the book of Exodus, when God gives his law to Moses and the Israelites, he says in Exodus 20, that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an image of anything in heaven or on earth, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. So how ironic, it, it almost seems as if King Nebuchadnezzar knows, all right, Here's the law that you, you Israelites are supposed to follow. Here's the law that you who believe in Yahweh are supposed to believe and act out. I'm going to throw something on your plate now that is a matter of life or death, depending on your faith in him. And we read this and we think to ourselves, how would we respond? How, how, what would we do in this situation? I've got a few questions for you guys to think about. Um, this morning. And the first one is this. When your faith is put to the test, how do you respond? And what I, I want us to understand is, is, first and foremost, most of us are not going to be put in this type of a situation, hopefully. But yet at the same time, I think on a daily basis, our faith is put to the test. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, put ourselves in this story right now, how do you typically, how do we typically deal with trials of our faith? When everyone is watching, when the world is observing, when you have an opportunity to go against culture and stand out for your faith, even though it may feel like you may lose friendships or, or God forbid you may be judged for standing up for your belief in God, how do you typically respond? It could be a scenario at work where someone simply calls you out. It could be a, a, a trial that you're dealing with that makes you question your faith. But what do you typically do when your faith is put to the test? Now, if I'm being honest, 
Um, I think very often when we meet trials like this, when our faith is put to the test, we live in a culture and we live in a world where one of two things can happen. One, uh, we just, we so easily can slip out of those, those trials. We so easily can sneak out the back door, which was not the case in this story because everyone's watching, right? We've got this huge group of people. But for us, it's, it's very easy for us to, to maybe lie, to, to hide our true faith, just, just, just in the moment to make sure we're not ridiculed. Uh, and on the flip side, I think sometimes we do. We just give in to culture. We give in to what culture says and asks us to do. And, and in this case, we can see clearly that this, this was a big deal. This was part of the culture back then. And we almost tell ourselves we can justify this thing because it doesn't, it doesn't quite work with our faith or this thing, the, the outcome could be death or ridicule or persecution. My point being is I don't, think we can, I don't think we always do the best we can when it comes to our faith being put to the test. And so I think there's something we can learn from this story. So let's continue and let's, let's see what we can do to respond as faithful believers in God. Our story continues in chapter 3, uh, verse 8, and we'll read a few verses here. It says, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever, your majesty, for you have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound, here's our lists again, of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. All right. Here come our famous heroes, our famous characters. We, we've got tons of stories and children's books that are written about these three people here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, there's an interesting thing with this list of people, and this may be a question that you've thought about before. This may be something that you've never realized before. We have three people here, but we're missing a fourth. <laughs> we're missing Daniel. Have you guys ever thought or noticed that in this story, for some reason, this huge test of faith is put just on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel's not mentioned at all in this chapter. And I want to address it. I want to chat just for a minute about this. And let me just say this first and foremost. I don't have the exact answer for why he's not here. In fact, the purpose of him not being here is not the purpose of this whole chapter in itself. But this is a debate, this is a talked about conversation with lots of scholars and theologians, and some people believe that Daniel could have simply been attending matters for the king at this time, because we know in the past chapters he's been promoted, he's been given a higher ranking, so who knows, maybe even Nebuchadnezzar was letting Daniel travel or, or visit other places. We're not sure. Most unlikely in that scenario. We also know um, that where this statue was built, where this image was built, was not in the city of Babylon itself, but was in the plains of Dura. So that could mean that Daniel just wasn't there for that ceremony. He was still in a different location in the province of Babylon. 
We, we, we don't know exactly why Daniel isn't here, and unfortunately, we, we don't have hard evidence to say why. But what I love about this is that this story, this test was clearly not meant for Daniel. And I think that's why he's not mentioned. And it, it's an interesting point because very often we love to lean on other people when it comes to our faith being tested. Very often we love to, you know, go to parents, go to, go to advisors, go to people who we trust and know are stronger than us when things are difficult. But in this case, we see that this was a test for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to show that their faith is their own. And I think that's a side important point for us to realize. Sometimes we have to go through trials alone. The positive thing is we'll see truly these three men were not alone. But Daniel isn't mentioned. We do see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are our three characters here. And the reason why, because they're refusing to bow down to this golden image. And how do we know this? Well, we have some tattletales in the mix, all right? You know, when I, when I read this part of the story, I, I almost laugh because it's almost comical to read through it and see these astrologers, these high officials who are supposed to be of high ranking in the kingdom of Babylon are acting like a little sibling, right? Uh, Mom, dad, you know that rule you told our older brother not to do? They're doing it. Uh, just maybe go deal with them really quick, right? Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, you know that rule? You even notice how they address him, Almighty King Nebuchadnezzar. This rule you just put in place, these three men are going against it. The, these three men are under attack because of their faith. These astrologers were jealous because in previous chapters, back in chapter one, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were in the position that these astrologers probably would have been in. So they're clearly attacking, they're clearly trying to be deceptive, and they're trying to pull Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down. The more interesting part to this story, though, is the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were noticed in the first place. Because if, if we read into this a little bit, we can see King Nebuchadnezzar had no idea that these three men were refusing to bow down to his image. Isn't that interesting? Because we know this was a huge setup, this was a huge production, everyone would have been around, yet for some reason, the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego opposed this law is through them saying, we are not going to bow down. But they do it in such a quiet, respectful manner that not even the king himself notices. Now, I think this is an important part for us to recognize because I'm going to address something that we've all been dealing with the last year, year and a half, two years, if you will, is we've had to deal with, with rules, laws, and regulations that feel unfair or unjust to us as human beings. Yet at the same time, I want to make sure it's really clear, <laughs> our faith has not been put to the test like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've still had an ability to live out our faith. And I would even ask you and challenge you to say, how have you done that this past few years? But what I love about this point in the story is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found the line to say, I'm going to refuse to bow down to this, to this rule that opposes my faith, but I'm not going to do it in a way that doesn't show the love of Jesus. 
And I think that's really important for us to get here. Because we love to oppose things, right? We, we love to argue. We love to say, you know what? I'm going to say no to you because that's not what I want to do. Or that goes against my rights or, or my beliefs. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'm going to refuse to bow down to culture, but I'm going to do so in a way that, that doesn't stir the waters. In a, in a way that represents and shows faithfulness to Jesus and how he would have responded in this similar situation. So how often do we do that? How often do we refuse to bow down to culture, but is that all we're doing? Are we choosing to actually say, you know what, I'm going to refuse this, but I'm going to make sure the people around see Jesus as I make this happen? The crazy thing about this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have gotten away, right? Like, if these people hadn't seen them, hadn't caught them, they could have gotten away. But clearly, this was not a part of God's plan. Clearly, this was God saying, I'm going to make sure you get noticed, and your faith is going to be put to the test, because even their actions to be so bold led them to this struggle. So let's continue. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. We see furious with rage, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these four men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and said to them, is, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So now things are getting real, all right? So now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's not just angry, he's furious. Some translations even say the image of his face changed. So picture this. You're in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, who we know already has a pretty good rap sheet of getting angry, all right? But what's interesting here is Nebuchadnezzar gives these three men a second chance. You catch that? If, if we were to look at how Nebuchadnezzar's responded in the past, he would have thrown them into the furnace right off the bat. <laughs> but he doesn't. He gives them an opportunity. And what's interesting about this is I think some of us would look at this opportunity here and say, this is a sign from God. This is an answer to my prayers. You know, I, I did the hard work. I stood up for my faith. I've gotten this far, and now God says, this is the one time I'll let you go against my law. And we can kind of chuckle and laugh at that, but how often have we done that? How often have we said, you know what, this is the one scenario, like, I'm trying to, to, to reach out to this person who's not a believer, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against the rules of my faith just a little bit, just this once. Or how often have we been put to the test, and we tell ourselves, you know what, I've been dealing with so much already at this point in my life, there's, there's got to be an end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have been so nervous, so worried, and, and so, this would have been so difficult for these three men not to say yes, if we're being honest. So my question is, what would you do in this scenario? When your faith is put to the test, our first question we've talked about, how would you respond even with a way out? These men could have, could have left at this point, 
They, they could have lived their lives in peace, most likely after this, but they choose to stand up for their faith. Let's continue. Uh, verse 16. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, for if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, this is the best part in the story here, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Wow. After all of this, opportunity after opportunity to slip out, to sneak out the back door, to avoid persecution, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not just willing to talk the talk, they were willing to literally walk the walk. <laughs> they were willing to say, I am going to stand up for my God to the point of death. You know, James, the book of James talks a lot about faith and talks about the importance of not just saying we have faith, but acting upon it. And James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You know, in this moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been saved from persecution if they just gave in, but they wouldn't have been saved through faith. Verse 26 in, in the same chapter of James is, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is what faith comes down to. This, this is kind of the, the premise, the, the main idea of our message this morning, is looking at the faith that these three men had and the confidence they had in their God. Even um, what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized in this moment was that even if he does not, we want to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew it wasn't just about saying we believe God is going to leave or is, is going to make us get out of this scenario. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew it doesn't matter the outcome. We're going to put our faith in God. And I think often we tell ourselves if I have enough faith, if I trust in God, if I believe in him enough in this scary situation, he'll get me out of it. But that's not the point. That's not what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show here. They say we're, we're so confident in our God that it doesn't matter if you take our life today. We know he's in control. They, they show an incredible amount of confidence in their God, and I think that should be something we should look at and say to ourselves, I want that same confidence. A quote I read in, in my studies um, over this passage, really interesting. It says, when we feel pressure about something, when we feel that pressure in our, in our heart, it usually means we're not confident in what it is we're doing. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt that pressure based off of their response. I think it's so obvious that they knew that God was in control, and that's why they were able to stand up for their faith. Because, another quote here from, from uh, a, a study, the Gospel according to Daniel, says, because our confidence should not be in what we want God to do, but in God alone. And that's really important for us to understand going forward. So that's my second question, and we'll get to our third in just a minute. But my second question to you is this. When your faith is put to the test, are you confident God's in control? Do you try and put things 
in, into your own hands? Do you try and avoid them? Do, do you try and do whatever you can up to a certain point? Because if we truly put our faith in God, we believe and know that he is in control. Let's read the last section of this scripture here. This is, this is the famous part of the story. We all know it's coming because we still haven't seen the outcome of this, of this bold faith so of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let's, let's see what the rest of this chapter brings us. Verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace, and the king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied up, fell into the furnace. So King Nebuchadnezzar being his normal self, right? Let's not just leave the furnace as it is. Let's crank it up seven, like let's, let's make this thing hot. So hot to the point that his own men willing to follow him lose their life. The story continues. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. But he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Sound familiar? We've, we've, a lot of us have heard this story before. But how incredible would this moment have been? Just, just to show you a picture of the intensity of this moment, I have a few pictures of what maybe a kiln or, or a, a furnace would have looked like back in Babylon. Um, this kind of shows the size and the opening at the front. There's, a, I think, a second picture of maybe a more modern-looking type of kiln or fire pit. But could you imagine being a human being tossed into that? Not only that, but we, we know that this furnace was hot. These furnaces back then would have been at temps over 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And no wonder King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement. Let's be honest here. Just seeing three people walking around in the furnace would have been pretty amazing. But instead, Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person. And this is probably the most debated, controversial, unknown question in this chapter is, who is that fourth person? The big question, and again, I'll, I'll tell you now, this is a, a much debated conversation with theologians and scholars, and so we're going to talk about just two points, and what I want us to not do is get stuck on this piece of the story, because you'll see in just a moment, this piece is not the important part of knowing who this person was. And let me explain. A lot of Jewish tradition says that this fourth person was most likely an angel of God. Some, some people even say that this could have been the archangel Gabriel. 
Some scholars say this could have been the angel of Yahweh, the actual angel of God, and, and there is some evidence that helps back this point up, but some people come to this conclusion because of the phrase that King Nebuchadnezzar says when he notices the first person, the fourth person, saying, this person looking as if a son of the gods. And translated into our English uh, vocabulary, this, this would have essentially meant uh, the appearance of an angel. And so we can read that and say, so this clearly must have been an angel. But what we don't know and what Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know was what God truly looked like. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar, we know, was not a, a follower of Jesus. He was not a follower of God. So his understanding of what this fourth being looked like would have been maybe confused. And not only that, but the, the term that Nebuchadnezzar uses is not just for angels of God, but angels and deities. So we, we, we can come to that conclusion, but the conclusion that most people come to, that, that I think I, I stand behind, is, is that we can see that this fourth person was a pre-incarnate version of Jesus himself, which is incredible to think about. To think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire with the Son of God, Jesus. And, and the reason this is a possibility is, is because we know that Jesus is a part of the triune God. And, and like I, we, we could actually just stop here and say, come back next week. Let's, let's have another whole sermon on this. But we know that Jesus himself has been in existence since the beginning, just like God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But what we see here is that clearly there was a fourth person in the fire who had an image that was so incredible, King Nebuchadnezzar noticed he stood out amongst the four. And to go back to my point I just made, the point here is not whether or not this, this person was Jesus or an angel. We, we can debate and talk about that. The point here is that God sent someone to be with these three men in the fire. God sent potentially his son, Jesus, to be with his children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through the biggest trial they'd experienced in their life thus far. And I want us to understand that this morning. I want us to understand that when we put our faith in Jesus, God is with us. I want you to think through the most difficult trial you've been in. Maybe you're in a trial or a season right now where you are struggling to feel value. You're struggling to feel like you're being helped, like someone is there with you. I can tell you this. One, we, we can look and see and think how incredible that would have been to be with Jesus. But we don't have to think. We can experience that today. We can know that Jesus is with us despite the trials we go through. My third question and final question for you this morning is when your faith is put to the test, do you believe that God is with you? What I want us to get this morning before we conclude is, is I want us to get that the point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was not that God was going to rescue them from the fire. In fact, in a lot of ways, I, I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> were going to be with God either way that, that afternoon. I think whether they passed away and died in the furnace, they knew we're going to be with God in heaven. And in this case, we see that they were with God in that moment. And when it comes to putting our faith in God, when it comes to standing up for him, that should be our motivation. Our motivation shouldn't be, okay, God, I'm going to put my faith in you, and I really hope that you get me out of this situation. 
If we took a list of the people God's used in the past through scripture, a lot of them were persecuted because of their faith. Thankfully, we live in a world where we don't experience that type of persecution as often, but what I think we do live in is a world where we, where we have opportunity to stand up for our faith and to know that God is with us despite the outcome. So I don't know what that scenario looks like for you guys in this moment, but I know you can take time this weekend. I know you can take time to ask God, where are the areas in my life that I'm struggling to trust in you? Let's close with this final passage in Daniel, and uh, we'll, we'll close with the song of worship in just a minute. But let, let's read the last bit of this passage here. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve uh, or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. A little extensive there, okay? <laughs> For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You guys, what I want us to understand is that we are rewarded for our faith when we, when we trust in God and we believe he's in control when we know he's with us, but that reward isn't always rescue from persecution. Now, what we can see this morning is God will and can do that, but my encouragement and challenge for you guys is to ask yourselves, where in my life am I showing my faith? Where in my life do people see through my actions who Jesus is because of my faith? We're going to close with a, song of, uh, with a song of worship this morning, and I'm going to ask the band to come out in just a minute, but let's think about that. Let's spend some time during this last song asking ourselves, God, how... How, how, how can I put my faith in action? In fact, if there's anything you're going to remember this morning, that's my prayer, is that you would see this story of these three men and say, what can I do to put my faith in action? So let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the God that you are. We want to thank you that you are with us through any trial, through any struggle that we deal with. And God, I pray this morning that you would, would put a pull in our hearts to say, can we live that out? Can we put our faith in action in the way that these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were willing to do? And so, God, I pray this morning with our hearts challenged, with our focus on you, with a better understanding that you are with us no matter what we go through, can we respond in a way that honors you? We thank you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.